Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You're listening to American Citizens, a Manchester City podcast by American journalists. Sterling. Tight, but he keeps it in, and De Bruyne is there! And it is dead level now. Manchester City are still alive here. Balotelli, Aguero! And now here's your hosts, Josh Webb and Gray Papke. Hello, everybody, wherever you may be. You're listening to the American Citizens Podcast on Blog Talk Radio. And my name is Gray. I'm here with Josh. Say hello, Josh. Hello, Josh. And for our guest this week, we have brought in the host of the City Watch Podcast. If you don't listen, you really should. Asan, welcome to the show. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Thank you for coming. And we have another loaded list of topics this week, primarily in the transfer department, because that's been the leading Because top- it's the summer, and what else it is It is the summer. What else are we going to talk about? Silly season. It's the leading topic. And really, <laughs> now, that, now that the Euros are over, what else is there? And now that the Euros are over, this is actually starting, we're actually starting to get on with it. So I'm, I'm excited now because preseason, like the first game is in two weeks. So yeah, yeah, we're, we can start really thinking about. It's less than two weeks, yeah. isn't it? It's, it's about a week they play Bayern. Yeah, I'm, I might be going to Munich for that yeah. game next week. Yeah, well, I'm a bit jealous. Tra- tra- <laughs> rather impossible for us. Well, so, look, I'm, I'm, I'm only going if I get the the interview that I'm going for. So we'll ah, see. Right. So. We might as well start with the story that we recorded last Tuesday with Sam Lee, and we talked okay. about defenders. Yeah. And not 24 hours later came the news that Manchester City were a bit in a bid for Leonardo Bonucci of Juventus. Out of nowhere. There were no real... I mean, it was no secret that he was a Pep Guardiola favorite, but there was no indication that there was going to be a bid. There was no indication there was interest, be it from the player or the club. And then suddenly we're hearing not only are they bidding for him, but some reports in both the Italian and the UK press indicate that they're willing to bid as much as $50 million for him. Mm-hmm. And so this tells me, well, the first thing it told me was that they have no faith in what they have right now. 
and that they are serious about the two defenders all along after Laporta decided to re-sign with Bilbao. And something came up on your podcast that we'll actually start with. Yeah, the, I the recruiting. You can go ahead with this. The recruiting profile of Benucci and Laporta, they're very—they're not the same player in the slightest. No. I, I thought this was for me. I wanted to <clears throat> start with this one because that when you said that, it was sort of it, it set the table for a larger discussion. But I thought that the the point itself was extraordinarily interesting because, to my mind, Benucci is more of a replacement for a guy like Vincent Company in what he represents as both a leader, a captain, and, and basically a defender among men. Yeah. Um, at, you know, I... I when you look at a situation like Denayer, which is where that came out of, I'm sort of in the same camp with Lloyd in that I don't think a club that has spent as much money as City has on development and the CFA Academy and, and their army uh, of, of scouts, I don't think they're going to make a decision suddenly based on one bad game by Denayer. So this almost begs the question, is there something maybe going on with Vinny that we don't know about? Because I don't know how you put Benucci and company on the same line and still keep that armband around Vinny. Okay, well, shall I, do you want me to talk about Benucci first or about what you said about Denea? Uh, I want to start with the Denea thing just to get it out of the way. Okay, um, I don't think that, I, I realized that the way it came across Last week was that I asked, I kind of raised a point about whether that performance of Denea's against Wales would have affected um, the thinking at the club. But the point was not necessarily that, well, he had one bad game, we need to go and buy a player. But maybe, I think you have to, I think you, I think you have to kind of work backwards from the idea that we've been linked with centre halves more strongly than any other position and that's going back two or three months that's the first thing the second thing is if you look at the profile of the defenders that we were linked with originally Laporte and Stones you're talking about two players who are roughly the same age as um, as Denea so it immediately begs the question do they not rate Denea because really on, on paper you don't sign John Stones you bring Denea back and you go let's go and sign Laporte or another left left-sided centre-half, stick Denea on the right and develop him because that's what Pep does. For me, it's only a, uh, it's only a feeling, but right now, my feeling is, for whatever reason, Denea is not really in the thinking for this season in terms of the centre-half position. Where that leaves him long-term, I don't know, but I don't think that it's a good thing for him. Is it possible that the Galatasaray's use of him as, as a right back, is that maybe where they're thinking, okay, we're not going to use him as a center half. We're going to shuttle him into that right back position to learn under somebody like Sonia, who is an, an ageless damn wonder and obviously well, great can, at what he does. Can I, can I say something to that? Because, sure. I mean, in the last... That, my initial thought was they might put Denaire at right back. But in the last week, not only have, you know, 
at this time last week when we recorded, it looked like Zabaleta was out the door. Yeah. Now people are kind of hedging a little bit more on that. And not only that, but there have been rather consistent links to uh, Bruno Perez at Torino at the right back position. Mm. So I think Bruno Perez will come. I think that deal will get done in the next sort of Yeah, I get the impression days. it will too because he's not – the price that's being tossed around, it's not that expensive. No, and the other clubs that are in for him are not clubs that you would fear, oh no, City could lose that player because he will fancy going to whatever the other clubs are that, link with, that are linked with him un- unless Juventus decide that they want another right back, which I don't think they will. Uh, I think we're good on that deal. Right, which begs the question, Sanya's not going anywhere this season. No. Um, and if they're bringing in another right back... Dene is not going to play right back. No, there's no he's spot not. for him. There's no place no, for him. No, uh, but he's not a right back. Like that, that, this is the thing for me that you don't, uh, or at least if I was in the position that Stein and, and Guardiola are in, I would look at somebody like Denea and I would go, well, he's not a right back. It's that simple. He can fill in at right back, but that's not his position. And if you're Manchester City, you want him developing in his position. And if he can't develop in his position at Manchester City, then, well, there's two things. Firstly, I would understand sending him out on loan if we were going to give Otamendi and Vinny another season or or Otamendi and Mangala another season and then make a call. But if we're about to drop a hundred million plus on two center halves, I'm, I I just, I fear for Denea. I mean, I I just, I'm not convinced that the club are convinced that he's going to make it because I just feel that if they really believe that he was going to make it, this is the time now with Guardiola, with the fact that there needs to be a revolution in the back four. Now will be the moment to drop him in and go, okay, Let's see what you're made of. If they're not prepared to do that, if they're prepared to bring in another player of his age, of his profile, uh, to do to basically learn how to do that job, it just doesn't bode well for Denea. And I, I think that when when you look at like you mentioned, all of the people that that would be ahead of him in the pecking order. Is there, because sort of the, the, the assumption that everybody is operating under with why y- you would think Denayer would be one for the future is essentially because Manchester City fi- signed him to a new five-year deal last year. And, and typically, you don't do that unless, A, you really want to lock up a guy long-term, or B, you want to ensure that when you do sell him on, you get some commensurate value. Yeah. Uh, is, is there maybe... Do we need to go back and look at that five-year extension Denayer received and possibly look at that through a different lens of where... City had to sign him because they had a lack of options. I think they needed to give him a new deal because I think they, I think they, they rate him. It's not that they don't rate him at all. And I think that they, you know, I, I don't know how to say this nicely. Like it's, it's a business, right? And Danae is an asset that's worth a lot, even though he might not be good enough to, step into centre-half this season at Man City. But coming off the back of the season that he'd had at Celtic, it would have been criminal to not lock him down to a new deal. If for no other reason than, if in 18 months' time you go, actually, 
I don't fancy him. He's still got three and a half years left on his deal. So you can still go out and go, this kid has played in the Champions League. He's played in the SPL. He's gone and played in the Turkish League. He's got something about him. If you look at the prices that are being mooted across Europe for players in general, Jason Denay is a 20, 25 million pound seven and a half. That's a lot of money. Which is basically what, what I was kind of hinting at in that, in that question. is, is yeah. It, yeah, it, it looks like we all thought the deal, I guess what I was really asking is, we all thought the deal meant that he was one for the future. It's really starting to look like the deal is that his money is going to be used for the future. Or the well, money I mean, it's, it, that's kind of a, you, had, you always roll that dice. Like That's the dice you roll. You see, you, you give a young player a, a, that you have some belief in, in their in their ability you give them a long contract and you hope that they fulfill the potential that they have but you're secure in the knowledge that if it becomes apparent that they're not going to fulfill that potential or they're not going to be at the level that you would require in your first team there's enough room there that you can sell them on without them being able to dig their heels in and go well you know what i'm going to sit here for another 12 months and then leave on a free and let's bring this back to Benucci, um, Gray. I know this is where we started it. So what is your honest opinion of how this Benucci, because th- this isn't, I mean, you don't just wake up one day and think, I'm going to target the best ball-playing center half available with a club notoriously known for, for making business transactions Yeah, I, I said this during the week. I said, Roughly, I know that there are varying levels of faith in Cheeky Bajeristein in the city fan supporters group, but I don't think he woke up Wednesday morning or whatever it was and was like, "Hmm, I think I'm going to bid on Benucci today." <laughs> no. I don't think that happened. I think this has been in something like this has been in the pipeline since before the Euros ended. Well, look, I think that you've got again, you've got to look at who you're dealing with. You're dealing with. Begerestein and Guardiola in the last six months preparing for what is going to be Guardiola's biggest challenge as a coach, right? So you would expect that, never mind before the Euros began, you would expect back in December, January, conversations would have begun with agents of players that Pep was interested in simply to gauge their interest in a move to City. Now, it's entirely possible that the first bid for Benucci went in last week. And it's entirely possible that previous to that, City had not spoken to Juventus about Benucci. But City aren't bidding for Benucci without knowing on some level that there's an interest on his part in making that move. So do you think then that Benucci represents a partner for Vinny, a replacement for Vinny? Because I'm starting to feel like the club is losing faith in Vinny's ability to remain healthy. And I would not hold that against them because you hit the nail on the head earlier. It's a business. Yeah, it's a business, but it's also a for, for, for Guardiola. This is his reputation. This is his livelihood. This is his biggest challenge. So we know that Vincent Company in the last two years has not been fit um, for long enough. We also know 
that the injury that he picked up at the end of last season means that the word is he will not be available until I've heard September. Uh, I've also heard October. So for Pep planning his uh, planning his preseason, planning that that sort of that first tranche of games that we've got that includes the Champions League qualifiers and the um, the derby. If you can't rely on your most important centre half, if you're Pep and you're analysing the squad and you're going the best defender at Man City is Vinnie Company, but Vinnie Company isn't going to be fit when the season starts and we've got no idea with his muscle injuries whether he'll ever be fit enough to play 30, 35 games again in a season, then my job is to replace him. Not necessarily replacing him as the captain, not necessarily replacing him in the sense of we need to sell him, but replacing him in terms of going, I need another guy with that profile who I can rely on. And then if I've got two of them when they're fit, amazing, then I've got two of the best defenders in the world when they're fit. But it also means that when Vinny's not fit, I've at least got one. Well, and okay, and go ahead, Gray. On that subject, for Guardiola on a slightly larger scale, you're only guaranteed, he's only on a three-year contract. And yeah. you, I'm not saying that like there's this immediate sense of urgency to win everything this year, but you, you don't really, you can't really afford to sit and wait and hope that something happens because you're not guaranteed to have him for that long. Exactly. He has to put his mark on the team right now. You don't have time to sit around and think, well, maybe company will be fit in the end of the maybe next season. May, you know, you can't, you can't afford to do that if you're him. Definitely, I think you've also got to, you, you've kind of got to, you've got to look at the, the the character of the man that you're dealing with. Pep Guardiola's a winner, and no matter what he says in his press conferences, he's come to Manchester City to win from the very beginning and to win everything from the very beginning. He's not come here to have a season of transition and maybe finish in the top four and maybe get to a Champions League quarterfinal or a semifinal. And then in his second season, you know, that whole Mourinho thing when he was in his first season at Chelsea where he was like, yeah, we're a baby horse and, you know, we're not really in this race and next season. And Pep's not like that. You know, Pep's a Pep, Pep is there to win. He's not there to make excuses and he won't make excuses. But part of that will be analysing the squad and simply going, well, I need somebody I can rely on and I can't rely on Vincent Company. So the question becomes, do I sign John Stones and rely on him, bearing in mind his age, or do I also, at the same time, keep an eye out for that player of that level of companies who I can bring in. Also worth considering, it might well be that three months ago, uh, Benucci wasn't really that interested in coming to City. It might well be that it's only been in the last sort of two or three weeks or last four or five weeks that his agent has gone to Pep or to, to Begaristein and gone, you know what? Actually, we fancy this move. Or maybe they've had word from Juventus that, at a certain level, they might sell. And suddenly that door is open. That's kind of the point that you're, there's so many gray areas. There's so many things we don't know that you can't really say for sure, when did this begin? Why are they doing it? Is the purpose to replace Vinny or is it just to mitigate the fact that he's injury prone? Does it mean that the Stones deal is dead because we're, we're going to spend 50 million on, on Benucci or are we going to buy them both? We simply don't know, you know, and, and part of, 
part of one of the interesting things about this summer, something that Pep said in his first press conference, uh, he said, you guys know who I want to sign before I've signed them. Yeah. And he said it in a way, Pep, everything Pep says, I think in press conferences is, is uh, he's thought about it before, you know, not, it's, there's no loose lips in those press conferences. He comes in and he's, everything he says, he says with a purpose. He said that with a purpose. Whether that purpose was to mock them because they don't know who he's trying to sign or whether that purpose was to genuinely express frustration at the fact that he's trying to get deals done quietly, but the press or somebody is one step ahead of him or somebody's leaking it, leaking it or whatever the reasoning is. He wasn't, I get the feeling that he's not happy with the stories that are being written about the players that he's going after. And I think it's because it's making it more complicated to sign those players. And I think Bonucci is a good example of that because I suspect that City don't want the British press writing City are trying to buy, buy Bonucci because that makes it very public and Juventus fans immediately go, what, what, we're selling, what, what, what do you mean we're selling Bonucci? That's never going to happen. And suddenly Juventus are on the back foot, even if they might consider it. As soon as that becomes public, they're on the back foot. Very, a good analogy to draw would be Kaka. Uh, Milan were ready to sell Kaka to City. There's no that nobody can dispute that. The reason that City that Gary Cook went there was to close the deal, but it was so public and it became so public in the three or four days running up to the closing of that deal that in the end, Milan and Kaka went. Actually, I'm not doing this. That's why I suspect that Pep will be frustrated because the level of players that he's looking at, there is always that potential that the, Laporte is a great example. The kid just changed his mind. There's nothing you can do in that situation. And the last thing you want is a pressure being applied from the other side, from supporters from the other side. So you want to try and keep those deals as close to your chest as you can. But once they're out, they're out. And this kind of like, I'm glad you brought that up because this it's sort of <clears throat> been jogging around in my mind. You you look at that approach and you say, okay, then why was the target Benucci? Uh, look, obviously we know what can <clears throat> Benucci can do on the field and what kind of a leader he is uh, off both on and off the pitch. But you certainly when compared to other available options, he is going to be a, more expensive, B, harder to prize away from Juventus for all of the reasons that you listed, and C, it's, it's going to be a mess in the press, just like you brought up. So if you, if you know all of that, and, and I, I know you hate this guy. I'm just using him as an example. I'm not really suggesting that City do this. But you look at a guy like Pepe. Obviously, Real Madrid are, are ready to, to, to move on to, to the Varane era, and with good reason. The kid is ridiculously special. But Pepe, as was evidenced in, in these Euros, uh, look, he may be a dirty son of a bitch, but he's also a quality defender who really marshaled that line for Portugal. And I thought in the final... Had a very quietly positive game. He he wasn't as cynical as if we've known Pepe to be. And I think that a lot of that was because once Ronaldo went off the pitch, Pepe knew what he had to do. He knew at yeah. that moment <clears throat> that he, even though the armband had been given to Nani, 
Pepe knew he was the unofficial captain at that point. As the senior statesman, he knew what was at stake, and he acted accordingly. And you look at that and you say, Pepe is a guy that you could get for a lot cheaper. Real would probably be very willing to sell because it would make the transition to Varane just that much easier. Uh, all of, you know, Now that Pepe's proven himself in the Euros, there's going to be that question again. Should it be Varane? Should it be Pepe? I just I wonder why you come out of the gate and say, we're going to go after Benucci when there are... Guys, you know, you don't have to just go stones. There are varying degrees of experienced center halves. Uh, uh, you know, Costas uh, Manolas, or, or you know, uh, so on and so forth. You could bring. Yeah, but hold on. I'm gonna. I'm sorry. I'm gonna stop you there. Like the thing is that you, in general, the club's plan is to bring down the average age of the squad. So that's very clear from the fact that we're targeting Stones, we targeted Laporte, we're targeting Sane. Yeah, we're targeting the cream of the new generation. That's what we're trying to get. Now, if you can't get the cream of the new generation, I think Manchester City have learned from the last three or four years that going and trying to... Playing in the middle market is probably not worth it. And that's how I would describe Otamendi, Mangala, Manolas. You know, uh, there's loads of uh, Benatia. um, There's loads of them. Do you know what I mean? There's plenty of centre-halves that live in that middle market that you can go and roll the dice with. But the point is, Pep's coming to win. So if Pep's coming to win, he's looking at it and he's going, well, if you're not going to give me a kid who will just do exactly as I say and will just be in awe of me and will run through every brick wall I ask him to run through, then go and get me the primo, the cream at the top, the Benucci. You see what I'm saying? I completely and- get what you're saying. That, that That's a very point well taken. Because I, I argued, you know, you look at this thing, you hear the phrase pot committed, and you look at how much City have already spent on Mangala and on Otamendi, at this point, I say whatever it costs to get Benucci, you're already, what, 84 million pound in, in the hole on crap center halves or center halves that aren't working out. You may as well spend whatever it costs to get this done because beyond a certain point, you will have thrown away at least 84 million on guys that weren't working. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, Look, I'm... I think I think that the I think the thing with the Benucci thing is that I think it's important we bring it back around a little bit to the idea of whether it'll happen or not. We're not gonna sign Benucci. It's not gonna happen. And the fundamental reason for it not happening is I don't think that I think Juventus are now in a position where at the very best they can only let one of Pogba or Benucci go. And the reality is that whereas Manchester City will haggle like hell and try and do the best deal for them that they can do, uh, Manchester United will simply say, how much do you want? And the reality for Juventus will be that they will look at dealing with Bagheristein and dealing with City and trying to negotiate that deal and Benucci and what he represents to them. Then they'll look at Pogba and what United are offering and what he represents to them, and they'll sell Pogba back to United and they'll keep Benucci. So 
as much of a dream as it of mine it would be I would be so happy if we got Benucci, but I just don't see it happening, sadly. That that was gonna be my last question on that one. But uh and and Gray, you can sort of take charge on this one if you want, because I know that that you've talked about heart and and the fact that the Euros, you know, one or two of those games wasn't necessarily gonna change the way that you feel. Uh, but, uh, now there's all these new links coming out. So Greg, why don't you take it away with the, with the heart discussion and what it means for city? Well, it's a bit like what we discussed with Denaire in that there have been, obviously, if you haven't been fine, there have been a new slew of stories linking Manchester city to one of the Barca goalkeepers, Marc-Andre Ter Stegen or Claudio Bravo. And the ongoing links with Geronimo Rulli at Sociedad, which indicate these links have been going on since long before the Euros. And again, it's City have had their transfer business in mind long for months. It's not new. So the thought I we were just going to discuss Joe Hart's future with the club. And again, I voice this opinion. I don't think any better or worse of heart after the Euros than I did before the Euros. He is a good goalkeeper, but he has he is a flawed goalkeeper, in my opinion. And I don't think that Pep sees him as the ideal fit for the system because he's very specific about what he needs his players to do. That includes the goalkeeper. So my, I don't... I know, I know we talked about this. There, the rumors that they'll buy Ruli and loan him back to Sociedad don't make any sense to me. But Well I, I mean I don't I don't know where we go from here on the heart thing is what I'm because the links keep happening and I think they're legitimate, but you know, for this immediate year, I don't know what it means for Joe Hart at Manchester City, because you're not buying someone from Barcelona to be the number two. That's not happening. No, I don't think that... Um, okay, so look, I think with Joe Hart, what we've got to accept is that come the end of the transfer window, there'll be another goalkeeper at Manchester City who Pep Guardiola will, will at the very least think is as capable of being Manchester City's number one as Joe Hart. So, who that, whether it's Rully, whether it's Stegen, whether it's Bravo, doesn't matter. The point is, come the end of the window... Um, it's very much going to be a case of two potential number ones. Uh, so where does that leave Joe Hart? Well, leaves him in a position where he's got to fight for his position. That's pretty much all you can say about that. In terms of whether it's the right or the wrong thing to do, far be it from me to, to, to criticise or to to. to to say anything about the decisions that Pep makes. But from a very personal point of view, I'll be saddened if, if Joe isn't the number one for the entirety of next season, regardless of what flaws he's got, because he's earned the right to be uh, the number one next season. He was one of our outstanding performers in the season just gone, in a very poor season. Um, and, I, I mean, his record for us in the last five years all of those things, in my opinion, has earned him the right to spend next season as City's number one. Whether or not that comes to fruition, I don't know. 
I think my sentiment on it is is similar to yours. I would just slightly deviate and say that if one of these gentlemen, like say, let's just use Claudio Bravo as an example. If Claudio Bravo is brought in, which I think is the far more likely of the two Barca keepers, uh, I just I think Barca would be dumb to give up Ter Stegen. Um, but if if they bring in Bravo, I have no issue with Hart being the number one so long as he earned it through competition. I, I, I love I love competition and what it means. It's iron sharpening iron. It's guys making each other better. And I think that for so long, Joe Hart just hasn't had a guy there who could push him to be the best version of himself. Uh, Pantillimon was not that guy. Obviously, Willie is not going to be that guy. But somebody like Claudio Bravo is definitely going to be that guy. And if nothing else, even if Bravo doesn't earn the number one spot, you could easily see Bravo adopting a mentor role with Joe Hart while also being ready to step in at a moment's notice. Um, so I've no objection to Hart remaining the number one, so long as it's earned through competition with a goalkeeper yeah. who is of adequate uh, uh, skill set. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, I think that's I think that's a very fair shout. Um, and I think that Joe operates best when he's got real competition. What I fear is the idea that this. What I fear is basically this idea that the Joe's position is basically a perfunctory position whereby Pep comes in, he says, no, no, Joe, you're my number one. And the first opportunity that Pep gets, he takes him out, sticks somebody else in, and Joe never gets in again. That's what I'm talking about because that's not fair. Joe Hart has earned the right to have next season as Manchester City's goalkeeper. The only only way you take him out is if he has – three, four, five bad games, one after the other, then you can start talking about it. But you and I both know that that's not what will happen. The first time, the first time, in my opinion, if he, if you bring in Bravo or you bring in Rully or you bring in Stegen, it doesn't matter. The first time that Hart has a, has a weak game, I suspect that Pep will take him out and then he won't get back in. So that's why this whole conversation for me feels a bit harsh on Joe. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I just wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. We've got plenty of positions that need upgrading, that need strengthening. The goalkeeper is not necessarily one of those positions and certainly isn't a priority for me. I agree with that. And, but and my fear, and I agree with you, it would be harsh. Um, my fear is that you know, if you're bringing in a guy like Bravo, who's already in a situation at Barcelona where he's not the clear-cut number one and he has to compete, my fear is that, you know, if he were brought in, he would have assurances that it's not going to be like that. You're going to have a significant role, which would be to Joe Hart's detriment. Yeah, That's my concern with you know, if they were to bring, like, I would be completely in favor of competition, but can you guarantee bringing in, creating a situation where both keepers would be willing to compete? It's sort of like in, in American terms, when a coach has 
uh, a quarterback from a previous, <clears throat> like he inherits a quarterback from a previous regime, and he's got his hot new five star, and he says, "We're going to have an open competition." But you know that the very first time the veteran messes up, like that's that. <laughs> you know, it was the 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 term "open competition" only goes so far. And I, I agree with you, Asan. This, this does have that stench about it. And, and I, I do think that it would be unfair to Joe Hart. But as you mentioned early on in the podcast, this is Pep's livelihood. And if Pep, it in his gut, feels like he can't do it with Joe Hart, you could certainly, un- well, not you, but... One could certainly understand why he would pull that trigger unfairly or not. It's just, I think as as supporters, we all sincerely hope that that's not what it comes to and that it truly is an open competition and that if Hart wins it, he will be given the proper shot to remain exactly. between the pipes. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, um, you, you nailed that. So I want to move on to a couple of questions, and and I'll start with one that actually was was second on the list because I feel like it. You sort of touched on it very briefly, and it feels to me like City's transfer plans changed abruptly in terms of what we were prioritizing. And you sort of look at all these goalkeeper links, and you're thinking, but where are the midfielders? Mm. Um, and I know you've mentioned this at least 5,000 times on Twitter, where the midfielders sign a damn midfielder. Uh, and then all of a sudden, City are linked to Oba, you know, Sané, Nolito, and with Gundogan and Mui, are, are, you know, who's already been loaned out, let's face it, Mui was never going to come in and, and light up the Premier League, but... You know, that can't possibly be what you think a Pep Guardiola midfield is going to look like, especially now the rumors, it well, seems to be not rumors, more so fact that Yaya will, is going to be determined just to ride it out. Um, I, yeah. What the hell is going on? Why, why are things shifting from attackers to goalkeepers when... Everybody and their mom knows that midfield was what ailed City so badly last year. Teams bypassed it like it wasn't even there, like it was a freeway on the path to success. Well, again, I think you've got to look at the plan this summer. I think the plan this summer, uh, going back to the analogy that I drew with with Benucci, is what you do is you go and either get the preeminent youngster in that position – or you go and get the absolute real deal, 100% world-class ready-made player. And if you can't get either, what you don't do is go and shop in the mid-market. So, so which and- one is Nolito? Nolito's a weird... Nolito's a, Nolito's a squad signing. We have, to, we, have to, we have to look at it like that. That's a squad signing. It's not a centre-mid is a position not within which we need depth, it's a position within which we need quality. The left wing is not necessarily a position within which we need more quality, it was a position which, within which we needed depth because we only really have Raheem, who was a left winger. Nasri, I don't think, 
will ever under Guardiola play as a, as a, as a left winger. So you've only really got Raheem there. So he needed, it made perfect sense to go and get Nolito for that reason. If you're talking about centre mid, well, we need, you know, we, we need three better players than, than Yaya Torre, Fernando and Fernandinho. With the best will in the world, if you're Pep Guardiola, that's not an easy task because there's only probably six, seven guys who can do that job. And, and how many of them realistically are attainable? How do you, how do you go and convince Real Madrid to, to sell Tony Cruz? How do you, you know... They let Miralem Pjanic go to Juve and you have to think that there's a possibility in... in I mean, I know that you have, uh, uh, I believe, have a man crush on Pjanic as, as, much, as much as I do. Definitely. I, I, you know, it. look at what Juve got him for and, and you're telling me that City couldn't have come in and topped that for a guy uh, of his quality. They had to hold out for somebody like Cruz who is only probably going to get done in the event that Real acquire Pogba, which is looking less and less likely if United walk in there with their junk and flop it on the table and say, which bit do you want? Mm. So, I mean, Pionich to me represents a guy that City could have easily had in, in a theoretical sense, could have gotten for much cheaper than Cruz is probably going to cost, and you probably deal with much less resistance, and and he fits all of the requirements of what you would think a, a Pep Guardiola midfielder would look like and be capable of doing. Yet, City, to my knowledge, were never even linked with him. Probably because we signed Gundogan or Gundogan, um, and probably because if the links to Tony Cruz are correct. What we're looking for is the pivot, the guy who's going to play at the base of the of the midfield, because we have Gundogan who plays in front of that a little bit further advanced, and we also have Fernandinho who excels in that sort of box to box role. Um, so, for me, as much as I would have loved Pjanic. I look at that situation now, Look at just in general, looking at the way that the summer has unfolded and looking at what we are buying and what we're not buying and the players we're being linked with. To me, it seems apparent we want a centre mid to play at the base of the midfield. And it seems apparent that if we could, we'd take Tony Cruz. If we can't take Tony Cruz, well, again, you look around the marketplace and you go, is there really someone out there who's going, who's attainable? And who is going to do that job? We were heavily linked with um, uh, Busquets at one point, but uh, no, no, no. no I'm thinking of I'm thinking of Weigel, uh, Julian Weigel from Dortmund. Um, we were heavily linked with him in January to the point where at one point it felt like some, but certainly Build was saying that we had actually bid for. Um, that's his position. Now it might well be that. Uh, Dortmund have said there's no way we're selling you two midfielders this summer and Guardiola's gone you know what I'll wait a year for Weigl I'll 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 make I'll make do with Yaya for a year and and in in a year I'll take Weigl because that's what is best for the long-term health of the club or maybe he's looking at it and he's gone okay let's try and get Cruz this summer and if we can't get Cruz this summer it's cool because we know we can get Weigl next summer The, the point is that uh, or at least for me, the most important thing, and this is something that I'm very pleased about, is that we're not playing in the middle market 
for key positions. We're going, we either want the cream of the young crop or we want the absolute ready-made world-class player. And that's how we need to operate to hit the ground running next season, in my opinion. I think the other thing with Nolito, even though I jokingly asked you about him in a sarcastic sense, is that Nolito also represents what I like to refer to as a translator. You know, you you see that in in Pep Confidential with it's Tiago or nobody. Pep wanted that person who understood every damn thing that he was going to be asking a person to do in his system, Nolito represents all of those qualities and can relay that as sort of, not, not, not necessarily an on-the-field general, but sort of an on-the-field coach for Guardiola. That's that role that Tiago played at Bayern, and I think that that's why Nolito was brought into City. I, I think, to my mind, he's sort of following a similar plan that he did when he went to Bayern. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's definitely, I mean, I said that in the podcast that I did about Nolito, that, you know, I think that it makes perfect sense because he knows what Pep wants. So he's somebody who can come in and Pep can say to Raheem, watch his movements, because that's one thing that you don't know, the movements that I want you to make and when I want you to make those movements. But if you stand behind Nolito and you watch him do those movements, you'll learn them really quickly. It's a really simple thing. And at the end of it, Raheem knows that Nolito is a 28, 29-year-old guy who has come from Celta Vigo for a middling fee. And the reality is that as long as the arse doesn't fall out of Sterling's form, that he will get in the side ahead of Nolito. So you, you see what I'm saying? It's the perfect signing because it gives somebody for Raheem to learn from, but at the same time, it doesn't put him in a position where he's immediately feeling anxious because he feels like, oh my God, this guy's come in and he's going to take my place and in 12 months time, I'm going to get sold or the media are going to be on my back. It's, it feels like conducive to getting the best out of Raheem. That's my vibe on that signing anyway. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you on that one. So real briefly before we actually and, get and can, into Can I just add something? Yeah, I'm sure. not sure how much their plans have changed really um, because yesterday in the Telegraph there was sort of an assessment of where City are supposedly at and it roughly said they remain in the park – excuse me, the market for five more players. A goalkeeper, which has been linked since before the season ended – right back, two center halves, again, linked since before the season ended, and a striker. I'm not sure if they're counting Sané as the potential striker or not, but and mm-hmm. um, that they may also still move for another midfielder depending on who leaves. And I don't buy for a second that if Tony Kroos became available, City would not move for him. Oh, no, look, if, 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 if it becomes... I think that if City get any encouragement whatsoever from Real Madrid, they'll close that deal. And it won't take them long either. Right, no, they'll find be there that it won't. Night. It doesn't matter what they have, to, who they have to. I think they will make it happen. Yeah, and I, I know Sam. Yeah, Sam Lee mentioned Tiago last week too. I'm not sure that doesn't seem as feasible. No. No. But um, I think, like you said, they would make a midfield move happen if they had signals that they could get the right midfielder into the club. Exactly. But so far, that hasn't happened since you know some things changed. And I think that's I don't the key. think that yeah. I don't that's think the transfer plans as a whole have changed. No, not at all. I think that's the key in all of this. That if you can't get the guy you really, really want, 
what do you do next? Because the reality is that the transfer market is unpredictable, yeah, and it is complicated. And you are dealing, especially if you're trying to sign top players, you're probably dealing with top clubs who don't want to sell their best players. So the picture is always gray. It's always blurry. It can never come into focus until the window closes because anything can happen. You know, the Florentino Perez is one of the most unpredictable chairmen in the world. And I wouldn't put it past him to wake up on the day that Pogba is meant to sign for Man United and call Raiola and call Juventus and say, fine, everything they've offered, I match it. The boy wants to come here, send him here. And at that moment, I wouldn't put it put it past Perez to then put that phone down, pick up the phone, call Bergerstein and say, I need 70 million euros fast. Do you want Tony Cruz? I mean, this is what I mean about the unpredictability of it all. It's pointless trying to get into, trying to say, well, City had plan X and they've had to ruin, those plans have been thrown. No, 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 no. City's plan is to buy the best players they can possibly buy for Pep Guardiola. Pep Guardiola's plan is to buy the best players that he can buy to give him the best chance of winning the things he wants to win next season. If he can't get those guys, he's not going to go and sign a guy from one level below just to add bodies to the squad. We've got loads of bodies to the squad and we've got senior bodies with experience who are champions. Let's not forget, this is an important thing that, that I wanted to say, let's not forget that to a man, 95% of the players in our squad have all won a, a Premier League title. Yeah, So they're champions and they deserve, I'm sure that, Guardiola, no matter what their age, no matter how they performed under Pellegrini last season, Guardiola will come in and say to all of them, except for Kolarov, who's just shit, but with the rest of them, he'll just say, I know how good you are, show me how good you are. And maybe they'll surprise him. Maybe the, the surprise in the transfer market will be, you know... Fernando or Fernandinho or somebody doing something in training and Guardiola going, hang on, I don't need to sign a player. I've got that guy here. We should not not lose sight of these things. It's important to have to, to be excited about the idea of strengthening the squad, but let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yeah, and I think I think there's it feels later in the window than it actually is. Yes. There's still five, six weeks. This on this day last year, Man City signed Raheem Sterling. They confirmed the Sterling signing, which was the first signing of the window. Yeah. So they're not behind by any means. I don't think there's any sort of panic. I don't think there's any sort of real scrambling behind the scenes. I think it just feels like there have been so many targets consistently linked, but so little movement on some of them, Stones and Sané in particular. But the Euros happened, so I'm not really stressed about it. I think it's less that for me, and it's more the targets or, or the players that were targeted have very quickly sort of fallen out you know aside from guys like Sané uh, which we don't know yet whether or not that's going to happen uh, the, I saw you know, I think you tweeted uh, that he said he would make a decision this week that the Daily Mail had reported that I don't know what that's worth but I think what I think what you with with all of those deals now the Euros are over yeah I suspect that City have have put their cards on the table with everybody, with Sane, with Schalke, with Stones, with Everton, with Perez, with Torino, everybody. The cards are on the table now. It's money time. Players either commit, clubs either commit, or City take their money 
elsewhere. So what is, and, and I'll just, you know, real quick here with this one, what is the reasonable expectation of results in the event that transfer negotiations maybe don't go as planned? You, I know that Pep wants to come in and win everything, and that will be how he approaches it. But if you're sitting back trying to be objective and saying, well, what are the reasonable expectations with this hodgepodge squad? What, what, where would you label them at? Would you say, you know, a double, just a single? What are they, what are this squad capable of doing with Pep Guardiola if nothing major happens? Firstly, it's not a hodgepodge squad. That's a ridiculous thing to say, right? It's a... It's a squad that's aged and that has needed to have the average age of it brought down, which is what we began doing last summer and we are continuing to do it, to do this summer. In terms of the quality in the squad, we have enough quality in the squad to win the Premier League comfortably. In terms of the Champions League, I don't think we've got a quality of squad quite strong enough to win the Champions League, but... As we showed by getting to the semi-final against Real Madrid and only losing by one goal, even with the, the quality of the squad not being quite at the level of the, the, the real Galactico clubs, you only need to win your group and get a little bit of luck with one of the draws and you can find yourself in the final. So a reasonable expectation is to win the Premier League and at the bare minimum, get yourself to the semi-finals of the Champions League, realistically, bearing in mind we got to the semis in the season just gone, I expect Pep will be privately saying, I can take these boys to the final. I mean, come on. Like, that squad got to the semi-final and the squad at the start of next season will have Gundogan added to it, will have um, Stones added to it, will have probably a n other attacking player of the type of quality of Sterling De Bruyne added to it. Um... You're talking about two new, younger, fresher, hungrier fullbacks coming in. The squad will be immeasurably stronger, even without Tony Cruz, even without Benucci, than it was last season. And last season, we got to the semi-final of the Champions League. And let's be realistic. We threw the Premier League title away because the players couldn't be asked. We didn't throw it away because the Leicester squad is better or Arsenal squad is better or Spurs have got a better squad. We were undercoached. We underperformed. And we got away with murder and we're lucky that we finished fourth in the end. But none of that negates the quality in the squad or what we can achieve next season. I, I tend to think that there is, I mean, if we're being honest, if Pellegrini has half a mind in, in those last 20 minutes in Madrid and pushes forward, I see no reason why that team couldn't have manufactured one goal uh, and, and exactly. they really would have gone through to the final. And I thought that that point was really emphasized by Chairman Caldoun. I mean, he made a point to mention that, you yeah. know, and, yeah. and, and I thought rather uh, poignantly stated, you know, it much nicer than I'm sure he said behind closed doors that that was an utter disappointment. And yeah. I think that we all agree that, that there's no reason it shouldn't have been City versus Atletico in, in the final of the Champions League. Uh, let, me, let me turn the question back around to you. What do you think we can achieve with Guardiola next season? I think, like you said, the Premier League is, is really what I would think 
Pep's biggest focus would be. I, I think he realizes that the Champions League, you're going to need a little bit of luck along the way. So the focus will be just what you said. You got to win the group, but but City need to qualify for the Champions League. We're putting the cart before the horse there. Uh, we have no idea who they could end up drawing. So I think just getting into the Champions League would, you know, should be the first order of business. Uh, I think that uh, when you look at the Premier League, it, it's it's you're right. It's not that Leicester were better. It's not that Arsenal were so much better uh, during their time last year than City. City threw away so many pointless games. I can't even begin to figure out how they drew Aston Villa. Like that one to me is just ah. And and I think that the biggest problem that I had with Pellegrini was not the losses. And I, and I harped on this going back a season and a half, is that there was never any development. I cannot think of a single player during Pellegrini's tenure who improved because of Manuel Pellegrini. Yeah, that's a fair point. That's, a, that's, that's, that's an entirely fair point. And I, but think, I-, I think that because of that, Whatever Pep Guardiola is able to do with any number of extraordinarily talented youngsters that City have at their youth development squad, I mean, I think that Pep, like you said, there's so much that we don't know. We have no idea who he rates in the youth development squad and what he has planned for them. But I, my, my biggest concern with the Premier League is that Pep is notorious for liking smaller squads. And if you want to compete on all fronts in the Premier League, I don't know that that's possible. Now, Pep is adaptable, so we'll see if he adapts to that and fills out the squad a bit more to stretch across those four competitions. But I don't know what I can reasonably expect in things like the Capital One Cup or the FA Cup. Uh, simply because a lot of clubs in England really don't prioritize those. I mean, if you win them, great, but the, but the sentiment seems to be, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong on this, the honest sentiment seems to be that nobody cares about it except for the team that wins it. It's sort of where it's fallen with the investment dollars that have been placed into the production value of not just the Premier League crown, but the Champions League itself. You get so much more money money from going further in those than you do for winning the Capital One Cup or the FA Cup. So fiscally, it it honestly makes business sense for the clubs to focus on certain competitions more than others. How is that going to conflict with Pep Guardiola's desire to win anything that he does? I don't know. That's that's my worry. I think that's the big I think that's what you've raised there is a really fair Fair. It's an interesting thing to look at how Pep is going to deal with the the fact that there's no break uh, over the Christmas period and the fact that there will be more games across the four competitions if we remain in all four competitions. Um, I suspect that, that, that even though Pep likes to carry a very small squad in general, I suspect that he'll realise in England it makes more sense to have a slightly bigger squad. I also think that there might well be, for example, there might well be a case where one or two players who we expect to leave will stay, thus supplanting Pep's core 
with two or three players who are senior players who know what the, know what they're doing, who Pep trusts to step in and do a job when he wants them to do a job. So um, I think that, yeah, I just I think that the squad will be a little bit bigger than the size of squad that he carried at Bayern and at Barca. But that's his. I think that's the big challenge for him. I, I, I find it interesting when people talk about like the idea, oh, Pep needs to, you know, he need, he's, he's going to learn about the intensity of the Premier League when he comes. It's like, come on, man, this guy's, I won't swear, this guy's obsessed with football, okay? A man who's obsessed with football knows how intense the Premier League is. It's not like he's going to rock up and go, oh my God, they run so much here. He knows that already. What he needs, what he, what he can't predict is the impact the number of games, the volume of games will have on his small core squad. So he will probably carry a slightly bigger squad just to make sure that if there is fatigue in the smaller core of the squad, that he has got players that he can step in. And that's not something that he needs to quote unquote learn. That's just something that he needs to feel out experience the yeah, only thing experience. that's going to, to teach you that is experience you know how many how many classicos has he managed he'll, he gets it he'll figure it out i'm not exactly. worried about that exactly. i don't think i don't think the moment will be too big for him you know no I, I do I've, not I've, think that at all i've, I've always um, laughed at but, those same reports yeah. that you mentioned Asan, where people were like oh you know pep guardiola is gonna figure out real soon like yeah okay because the best manager in the world, the guy who's won 30-some damn trophies as, as not just a player but also a coach, yet he, somewhere along the way he managed to forget to watch Premier League football. Like, he doesn't know how tough it is. Exactly. And I just, I just think that it's, uh, you know, it's part of this kind of wider thing where he's joined Manchester City and it pains certain media representatives that he's joined Manchester City. And so they need to say and do whatever they can to diminish what actually he has achieved previously and what he can achieve at City. It's, it's genuinely, um, oh, wow, guys. Oh, no, sorry. That was old news. I thought news was breaking then, but it seems it's old news. So let's pretend that that never happened. Um, so yeah, I, um, I I think that there's been this there's this need amongst certain segments of the media to to do to basically diminish what Pep has achieved and what he's about. But you you guys know as much as I know, the guy's the best coach in the world. The guy will know exactly how intense the Premier League is, and the guy will be fully prepared. He's not come here to come second. And he's not come here to have a season of transition. He's come here to win. So as as far as what you're going for next season, I think the Premier League will come first and foremost. And I think, you know, I'm not going to say it's going to be easy to improve on what they did last year, but they dropped 19 points at home last year. That's absolutely disgraceful. And if you pick up 15 of them, then you're over 80. You're in the you're in the title race easy because they lost. They lost to West Ham, which in fairness, they dominated that game. They just couldn't break through Um, Liverpool. They got obliterated. Leicester and Tottenham, they got obliterated. They lost to a, a very poor Man United side at home. And they dropped points against Everton and Arsenal, and 
you know, you figure if you can pick up you know, even 15 points from those home games that they dropped, you're looking at, uh, you know, add yeah, 15 points to what they had last season, season and you sure. have 81, which was what Leicester won the title with. So, and also, and also, we should be aiming. We shouldn't be aiming to to pick up eighty one points. We should be aiming to pick up. You know, I think under oh, Guardiola, no, no, we should not be at looking all. at ninety points. Right. I'm just saying. You know, the home form. If even if just the home form upturns, then you're yeah. looking. You're looking at that, and the away form add add a little more to that, and you're you it are just, looking at ninety points. It, I completely agree with that. It just retrospectively, just real quick here before I want to move on to Raheem so to to close things out, but. You know, everybody had this this faith in in Pellegrini, and you know, just just being a guy who I, I you know, I mean, obviously I cover a, a different sport in American football, but you you tend to pick up certain things about what type of a coach a guy is and what he prioritizes, and I, I could always sense that development was never a high priority for Manuel, and and you sort of saw this trend should have been evident that how poor city were going to be based on where things were the year before. I, I mean, it wasn't so much that things were so bad last year, as much as they were a continuation of the deterioration that had started after they won the title, basically yeah. in year two, these things, it started very slowly with city suddenly not being able to, to win away. And then they put those string of victories together and nobody thought the better of it. And then city couldn't win away. And then they suddenly started losing it home. And it was just each step was the next logical progression for a team that had basically reached its Zenith some time ago with, proper with, with current management and it, it it always astounded me that people were picking city to win the title last year i'm thinking what are you guys on this this is only going to get worse and you know i, I certainly started to look like a fool those first eight games of the season but then you know quite quickly uh, you know pellegrini went back to being pellegrini and and it sort of became a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I think my the, the only thing that I even care about with City this year, and, and you know, winning is, is what it is, but the only thing I even care about is seeing development and tactical adjustments. If I see those things this year on a continuous basis, like that will make me the happiest man on the planet because those two things did not happen. And if those two things do happen, I tend to think that everything else will take care of itself. Yeah, I, I just, I mean, um, I'm, as, as you know from listening to the City Watch podcast, I'm the eternal optimist, man. I, I, I always believe that we'll do better, that, you know, and I just, I, maybe that comes from growing up supporting a really, really, really poor City side. And watching really, really poor city sides that now I don't maybe have, you know, I, I just always, I always feel like, Jesus, we've come this far, man. We can, we can get, we can do it. It's cool. Like, you know, every, everything is gravy for me from here on out. That's kind of the way I see it. I got to see City win the Premier League title, something that I never thought I'd see in my lifetime. Everything from here on out is gravy. And that's not too, you know, we have different standards now and we should, 
always try and live up to those standards. And we have high expectations and rightly so. That's the, what I'm saying is not about kind of trying to bring down expectation or anything like that. It's just Context. this idea that, you know, we can do better because we've got the best owners in the world because we're a progressive club because we're constantly forward thinking. I mean, you know, when I see people, I see a lot of negativity, even now on can Twitter. I, can I, I see actually a lot. tell you a story about how I even became a City fan? Because I think it's so relevant to, Gray and I have made no bones that, that we are post-takeover. Um, but but I, 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 I'm Dutch, so I, you know, grew up, international football was sort of our, you know, bread and butter. Um, and I had... Yeah, I'd watched the leagues before, but I'd never quite picked a team. And I decided that, uh, okay, I'm I'm going to place the, the the time into picking a team that I want to support. It's time to make that emotional attachment. It can't just be the Dutch letting me down. I need to find somebody else to do that. So I, I spent several seasons, about a season and a half, watching the Premier League for different styles uh, that that jibed with me, and when I did find those styles, I, I then looked up things about the club, and what really put me over the edge with City had nothing to do with what was happening on the field. It had everything to do with what was happening off the field. Um, my my master's degree was in public administration. It was a specialty in nonprofit management. But here in America, sports teams are nonprofit groups. I don't know how that exists uh, over there, but over here they're they're nonprofit. So that's why I did that. But you look at what city I've always found the business of football to be or, or sports in general to be so fascinating. And I was blown away by the level of ambition of city, because so often we talk about things like, you know, United or Barca or Real consider themselves to be a global club. Well, that's a theoretical uh, sort of uh, uh I, I, I guess label that they've given themselves, but in reality, they're 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 not really global. They are, you know, located in in Real or excuse me, in Madrid and in Catalonia. That's sort of where their brand exists. Yeah. Now with City, they've taken that and they've put it in New York. They've put it in Australia. And you know that more are coming. And I firmly believe that they're going to have at least one or two clubs on every continent by the time it's all said and done so that they have a steady network of not just players, but scouts everywhere so that no stone goes unturned. Exactly. No player goes unscouted. And when I'm reading that kind of stuff and seeing the technology that, that they're using to put these systems in place and you see the investments that are being made in the CFA, like I was blown away and I'm like this, this right here, this is the club for me. And in truth, I knew I wanted a club that that was capable of competing in all competitions. But what I loved so much about City is that they hadn't been there yet. And anything that happens from here on forward, whether you've been a City fan for 75 years or, you know, for five, five years, anything that happens 
from this moment forward, we are all going to experience together. It is going to be a first for everybody, and nobody is going to know how to react when it actually happens. And that's something you can't put a price on. And it's awesome to have a club that has so much history, but also has still so much yet to achieve that you can experience with fans. That's a beautiful way of putting it. That's a really beautiful way of putting it, I have to say. That's what drew me to, to, to Manchester City. So that, that's, that's my little story there. But uh, I do want to wrap up this podcast with a conversation about Raheem because I feel Can we like, do it quickly? Yes, we can. Super. Um, and I, I just sort of want to touch on some of the things that we were discussing before we went on air, and, and that was some of the articles that have been published, most notably uh, the the drug dealer article that used Raheem Sterling's picture. Um, I have to ask, is, is there a set... The British press seem to love to kill their own players. Is this about killing their own players, or is this about so much more than that? Because I feel like you are much more qualified to speak on... In, in America, you would be a minority here. So I, I feel like being non-white, you are much more qualified to speak on this because you will have it in very... You know, white privilege exists. Let's just be real about it. And... I'm curious as to what your thoughts are as you sit back and view this from, from your lens living over there. Because I don't want to be ethnocentric. Okay, so Kanye West went on Saturday Night Live and said, George Bush hates black people. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Okay, so I'm coming on your podcast and saying the British media hates successful black players. It's that simple. And... I don't want to. You begin. You begin with the 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 top of the footballing tree in Britain, the FA, the Football Association. How many coloured faces will you find in the Football Association? Not very many. What is the makeup of the Football Association? Old ass white men. Yeah, that's the first thing. The second thing, the British media. How many coloured faces will you find writing about football at The Guardian, The Times, The Independent, all of those places? Again, not very many. Most of those writers, where did they go to school? Where did they grow up? I mean, you're talking about a kind of racism that's so deeply ingrained within people that they don't even think they're being fucking racist about it. It's that simple. They don't even think that. It's not racist. I'm not being racist. Uh, Raheem Sterling had a terrible game. I'm just saying that he had a terrible game. Yeah, but when, but but when the white England player has a terrible game, you don't. You, it's not the same. The reaction's not the same. The vitriol is not the same. It's just not the same. Yeah, Deli Ali went to Ibiza and and I remember seeing these articles that were like you know what kind of crap is this that Deli Ali is going and then there's Wayne Rooney and his wife and kids you know on a plane like Wayne Rooney's off to Ibiza and you know, but it's Deli Ali getting slayed in the press and I'm sitting here thinking, well what's the difference between these two players? And like you, I've only got one logical conclusion. 
One's white, one's not. I think there's, there's something else as well. I think you also have to accept the fact that because of the age of most of the journalists in Britain, they've grown up on a healthy diet of Manchester United are the biggest club in the world or Liverpool are the biggest club in the world. So basically, there is almost an unspoken exemption whereby if you play for those two clubs and you play for England, you that's it. You are the man. So you won't really get criticised. However, if you look at Raheem Sterling, the kid's black and he had the temerity to tell Liverpool that he didn't want to play for them anymore. He wanted to play for Manchester City. Can you imagine the furore amongst the press pack? I mean, you, 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 don't need to, you don't need to imagine it. You can go back and Google and read the articles that they wrote. Yeah? I it's, this is- Milner. I, you know, Milner made it damn near impossible for City to do anything. Both of them, Raheem... And James Milner had spent five years at their respective club. Neither one of them had grown up in the sister. Milner had a uh, system. Milner had been at City for five years. Raheem at Liverpool for five years. Obviously, he was a QPR youth guy. Milner, City tried to bend over backwards and give that guy anything he wanted. And every single time they came to the table, he wanted something different. Basically, in negotiating tactics, to my mind, saying, like, look, mates, it doesn't matter what you bring me. We're not going to get a deal done. I want to test the open market. And then he goes and signs with Liverpool and he's welcomed with open arms, you know, but then Raheem Sterling kind of forces a move and and he Satan is like, how dare he betray Liverpool? Like, wait, what? You didn't have a problem with it when you took him from QPR or, you know, Dejan Lovren forced the move. That That wasn't a big deal. Why is a, you know, a guy, he's essentially taking a better job, I think is how you put it, Gray, right? Yeah, that's what I, you know, he was offered um, more money at a more successful enterprise. And if we can be honest, you're deluding yourself if you don't think that Manchester City are in a better position to compete for trophies at the highest level right now than Liverpool are. It is a fact. There is, it's not. It's not opinion. It's not. It's fact. They have won more, and they are in better position to continue winning more for the foreseeable future. He was given a better opportunity, and he took it. Everyone would do. Almost everyone would do the same thing in that. Yeah, and also I, I want to say something. Like uh, I think that race is a very touchy, touchy subject, and I think that a lot of no offense to either of you two or any other white people that are listening it makes white people uncomfortable when people of color begin to accuse white people of racism. So I'm not saying for the record, I'm not saying that the British media are racist and I'm not saying that the FA are racist. What I am saying though, is that it's very easy to be a person of color, look at the treatment of certain players, certain individuals and feel like it's nothing but racist whether the intention is a racist intention or whether the intention is simply to criticize a player for having a poor game, if you're singling out black players, if you are not being fair in terms of going Raheem Sterling was terrible, but so was Harry Kane, 
if you begin to make excuses for white players and you're not making the same excuses for black players, you leave us with no choice but to begin to draw certain conclusions. I think that's a very fair way of putting it. I, I, and I tend to agree with you. You, can we can sort of end it on this note. You brought up something that is, I thought was very poignant again before we started the show. Context. Context. You cannot remove context. And when you look at these things and you place them in context, it leads people to, as you say, logical conclusions, whether or not the intention is there. And, and I think that more than anything, I, I, if, if I may, you're not saying that the FA or anybody is racist. You're just, you are saying that there need to be changes because people feel like the current structure has systematic institutionalized racist tendencies. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, you know, in the same way that I'm sure that there's, I'm sure that there's plenty of American police officers that go, I'm tired of being associated with these other types of my fellow officers who are deeply racist. I'm sure that there's plenty of journalists who are tired. I've seen journalists react to certain stories about Raheem Sterling in a way that shows to me that they themselves have become deeply uncomfortable with some of the things that are being said and are being written. So it isn't about, you know, just saying they're all like this or they're all like that. But I think it's certainly fair as a city supporter for me to say, I feel like some of the treatment of Raheem Sterling since the Euros began has been a little bit racist. I think that if you're writing stories about drug dealers and then sticking a picture of Raheem Sterling into that story and then having some tenuous link about how the drug dealer wanted to live the quote unquote bling lifestyle of a footballer. I'm sorry, guys, but that's racist. You cannot on on any level begin to tell me that that's not racist. Especially when there was no quote at all from that guy saying, I wanted to be like a Premier League. Like, it was never even said. This guy drew that parallel. I mean, he could have easily written, like, this guy wanted, you know, to be rich, like, youth pop singers or something exactly and, and oh, it, I mean, but it's just it, this is the, the I mean look we're going to disappear down a black hole if we, yeah, if we really get into this because it's really like a, a, it's it, it's so obvious that I think part of the thing that is is offensive is some of this shit is so obvious it's not you're not even trying to hide it guys come on like be a bit more like be a bit cleverer about your racism be you know don't make it don't make it so but then at the same time they, they can't make it clever because they're trying to appeal to dumb people. So dumb people need their racism spoon fed to them. They, you know, you can't subtle racism. They're not going to get it. So it's, you know, the average sun reader is thick as, yeah, the average sun reader is stupid. So he needs, you know, idiot proof racism that he can go, yeah. He, he doesn't need subtlety, but he, you see my point, don't you? Like it's sun, it's, sun is Murdoch, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. On that note, yeah. so Gray, what did you uh what, did you have any last things here before we give Asan a chance to uh to promote his stuff? I have nothing to add to any of that. I think well, 
I've talked about this a couple times on the last couple podcasts, so I don't need to bring it up again. But obviously, it's not fair, and we no. all know it. But so you know Guardiola will stop it. That's right. I have all the faith in the world in him to to get get it together and be a quality performer next season. I just think a year from now, the whole the way that Manchester City is spoken about and written about will be totally different. We've I waited. We've, we've waited what five, six, seven years to get somebody like Guardiola in who simply commands the respect of everybody by what he's achieved. Not by his words, but by his actions. And, and he's not afraid to, to, to point people out in the press. The, the biggest thing that sticks out in my mind is when he called that guy out who asked him a question and then wasn't looking at him. He's like, no, no. You asked me Jamie Jackson, in fact. <laughs> in it. In it. Of all the people, one of the biggest... Ugh, yeah. And that was so beautiful. Like, that's just amazing. The fact that Jackson is going to have to go to Guardiola's press conferences every week. I bet he won't ask a question for months. He'll be petrified. Can you imagine? <laughs> well, I think that's covered everything. So, Asan, if you'd like to uh, put in a word on for the City Watch podcast, feel free here. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. I Feel free uh, to promote please. yourself. Firstly, uh, if you don't follow City Watch... Uh, the Twitter account, you need to go and follow the City Watch Twitter account because it's the best independent City Twitter account out there. And I'm not saying that because I'm involved. I'm saying that because I'm a fan of it. And that's how I got involved. I will add to this. I have it open in a tab in my browser whenever I'm on. I don't miss a tweet I refresh, at this time of year. I refresh it's fantastic. The, you can't the not follow it. Every 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 day I refresh my podcast just in case there's a random drop. Like if you're not following City Watch, I don't know what's wrong with you. That's really the only way I can put it. And you know what? We do a podcast as well, which I host. And if I've not offended you too much in the things that I've said, come and listen to the to the to the pod that we do and listen to me chatting rubbish and at least one of these two guys will be on in the next sort of month or two because they've shamed me now by inviting me onto their podcast um so now i have to i have to return the favor and i you know what i want to say genuinely thank you both for having me on i'm uh i'm no expert on manchester city and i'm no expert on on football in england all i can do is give you my opinion um so yeah and that, opinion, that is why we are here. Yeah, your your opinion is worth its weight in gold to us and a lot of city fans. And I, uh, Josh, stop that, man! You always say these nice things about me. You're gonna make yeah, me but, blush, I, but, I, but you know what? We though? love I say we it love having I people it. on from from the UK because we live in the states and we get yeah. a, to take the temperature of how it actually is. And here's the thing, man. It comes down to how you like your sports digested. And I prefer my sports to be rather blunt, rather honest. But at the same time, I love the way, like, even when I use the term hodgepodge, you're like, let's let's not be foolish and use that term. I see. I love that about you because you're fair, you're honest, but at the same time, you know how to push a discussion. And that's how I like my sports digested. That's what's important to me as a fan. So when I'm saying it, it's exactly like you said. You're not saying it because you're a part of it. You're saying it because you're a fan of it, and that's how you got involved 
with it. Listening to you do what you do made Gray and I want to do this. And that is not a lie or an ass kissing. It is just a simple fact. You're so good and passionate about what you do that it, it, it's it's infectious and it it made oh, us realize. Josh, God bless you both. We man. don't That's have so a podcast in America for Manchester City, so we wanted to be the ones to create it. What is yours? The first one that we know of. Beautiful. I'm sure Absolutely. we're not the first one, but I have not encountered anything else so far. So, hey, Josh, are you a? Because um, there's an LA supporters group, isn't isn't there? There is a Hollywood supporters group, and I am trying to get somebody uh, who worked for ESPN Radio in Fresno to start a Central Valley supporters group. Uh, but yeah, I'm sort of caught right in between Northern California and Los Angeles, so there's nothing where I live. So I'm Where do you live? Bakersfield, Bakersfield, California. Oh, wow. Okay, so you're all the way out in Bakersfield. Interesting. Hey, listen, I need to run now, but I... For sure. The la- I'm going to leave you with one thing. The next time we speak, I'll have to tell you about when I lived in LA. And yeah, my, my journey to being a City fan... I think you'd be really interested in... We'll, we'll in, do a whole in, podcast about it, a one-on-one, man. I, I love to hear it. <laughs> oh, you're going to awesome. kick me off. No, 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 no. No, you can listen. We would absolutely no, no, two on love, one. We'll do, we'll do it. love we'll do to it. have well, you on. Love to have you on again. Absolutely. Well, listen, whenever you want, just ask me. I'll be here. And now I must dash because uh, my wife will divorce me if I don't get myself to the bar. Go by get all go by all <laughs> means go and drink. We will wrap up over here. Thank you so That's much, right. Ason. It's been absolute a pleasure. pleasure, and thank you guys again for having me on. Yep. Thank you. See you later. Well, that's all we've got, really. Yeah, so, I don't really know if there's so, any any point in in trying uh, to to do anything after that. Like the man, the man, the yeah. man pretty much knocked it out of the park, like we thought he would. Like the, the icon. So. If you're not subscribed to us on iTunes, you can subscribe to us on iTunes. We will have more content. We have more guests in the works. You will want to stay tuned. And we can announce again, one of those guests. Well, feel free. You're the uh, guest booker, so feel uh, free. I have, I have landed us Mr. David Mooney uh, from the Blue Moon podcast, and you may also know him as one of the Manchester City writers for ESPN FC. Um, and I've booked Mr. Mooney for the 25th and I'm really looking forward to talking with him and also asking him about the, how he got the idea for his book, Typical City, which is sort of just a collection of articles that, that he'd really written, um, and, and just put it all together. But what's so unique about it is that you, it captures the, the sort of the context of every week Instead of having, a, you know, people who write these books and they're sort of recalling week one, week two, this is sort of a collection of things that were written all throughout the year. And, and so you end up with a, uh, a very interesting book that, that really takes you on a roller coaster ride on a, for, you know, basically a week by week basis. Absolutely. So that's coming um, and other things are certainly coming. So. By all means, if you haven't subscribed to us on iTunes, um, please do. We're on Blog Talk Radio. And I can't say enough, if you have not, if you do not follow City Watch on Twitter and if you do not subscribe to the City Watch podcast, you are doing yourself a disservice. So, um, 
that's all we've got for this week. We will be back next week with another podcast. And I'm sure we will discuss whatever nonsensical transfer rumors have come out by then. So on behalf of Josh, I'm Gray. Thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you again soon. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.